Welcome back to Season 1 of Story Sonic, the universe of infinite possibility. In the universe of infinite possibility, anything can and will happen. These stories tell the tales of the worlds in this universe. Now join me in this week's story, A Mystery in Gourd. The streets of Gord were quiet and flickered with lamplight as the thin, drawn-out form of the traveler dragged himself into the city. The tall, stone and wood buildings leaned over the street, leaving only a thin strip of sky lightly spattered with stars. The traveler looked up to the sliver of sky and remembered a time not too long ago when the light from Gord shone so bright the stars were nearly invisible. After the waning, however, the stars had grown brighter as the magical light that powered the city faltered and ultimately disappeared. He spat on the ground and tried to clear his throat. The effort sent him into a coughing fit, and his overwhelming thirst pushed his feet onward down the street to the last inn left in Gord. All eyes turned toward him as he burst through the door. He was a sight to behold. His shoulder-length hair hung in dense locks. The color was hard to discern, so caked it was with dirt, sweat, and blood. His clothes were also stained with a collection of colors and were shredded in many places. In spite of the wear, the clothes still showed an air of wealth, the tarnished gold and silver embroidery showing through in spots. When the innkeeper asked him why he was in such a terrible state, he only waved his hand and gasped, Food! Drink! Before the innkeeper could rush away to get the traveler his sustenance, she noticed a pendant around the man's neck. The man growled again, Food! Drink, please, I have not eaten in. The growl trailed off as the innkeeper sped away, hurriedly gathering a dense loaf of bread, a block of hard cheese, and a bottle of wine while shouting at the cook to prepare a stew. The innkeeper set down the provender and turned around, quickly grasping for a plate and glass. When she turned back around, the man had already begun tearing into his food, ripping the bread with his teeth as he used a large, sharp blade to cut thick chunks off the cheese. Bless you, sir. But you look like you haven't had a good meal in an elf's age. The innkeeper poured the man a large goblet of wine, and he took it eagerly, drinking it quickly and grimacing slightly. Elf's age or not, I never did get a taste for Gordian wine. He took another pull from the glass and choked it down. I am glad to have anything, if I'm being honest. Even bitter wine is better than the fare I've had of late. As he drained the last of the glass, the innkeeper refilled it, gazing transfixed at the amulet around the man's neck. The metal was perfectly round and deep black, and cracked in places, and through those cracks a dim purple light shone, flickering quickly. Around the edge of this pendant were embedded nine gems perfectly spaced apart. One of the gems, the innkeeper could not help but notice, was glowing a dull red. The purple lights danced across the slick black surface, entrancing the viewer and filling her with wonder. The wraith-like man looked up from his bread and, noticing the innkeeper's gaze, moved his hand to the pendant and tucked it into the ragged remains of his tunic. Listen to me. The skin around the skeletal man's mouth cracked as he spoke, and thick, dark blood oozed slowly out of the broken skin. I need you to send a message. He pulled out another blood-stained coin and slammed it hard enough on the counter to break the innkeeper's attention. Their eyes met, and the innkeeper could feel the heat coming from the stranger's eyes. Send a message to the magistrate. Tell him that Kilos has returned. 
and tell him I found it. With that, the man downed the rest of the glass of bitter Gordian wine and trudged to the stairs, half stumbling up them in exhaustion, making his way to the first bed he could find. The innkeeper stood frozen, mouth agape. All her life she had heard the stories, tales spun by grandmothers and reinforced by clergymen, telling of the symbol of the end. She simply could not believe that the fated amulet would find its way into their inn, around the neck of a near-dead stranger. Shaking herself from her stupor, she quickly grabbed a scrap of paper and a pen. Hastily, she scribed the message the blood-stained man had given her. As she sealed the message with the wax of a nearby candle, the door behind her opened as a stout, red-faced boy backed through it carrying a large bowl of steaming rabbit stew. Danry, I have the stew. I tried to make it just like you always do, but I think I bungled it. Danriel the innkeeper looked at her younger brother with exasperation and grabbed the bowl quickly out of his hands. Endo, I need you to take this message to the magistrate at once. It is very important. Endo's face turned a pale pink and his eyes bulged in fear. The magistrate? Danry, I can't go to the magistrate. What if he locks me up for being out past curfew? From underneath the counter, Danry pulled a token, a silver metal disc embedded with green glass attached to a golden ribbon. Take this. Show it to any guard who stops you and tell them you have an urgent message for the Magistrate. This token is only meant for emergencies. They will let you pass. Now go. Endo looked doubtfully down at the token as his sister urged him out the front door. Go, Endo, and run. Danry watched as her brother's feet slowly began to pick up pace as he ran down the dark street. Her heart went out to his fear. It was not long ago that she was imprisoned for being on the streets past the tenth chime. She knew that the experience had left poor Endo traumatized. It had been his first day watching the inn on his own, and when she did not come home, he grew anxious. Customers hounded him with demands for food and lodging, and he quickly became overwhelmed. When she was released the morning after her imprisonment, she found the door to the inn locked and barricaded. When she finally was able to let herself in through the trick window in the back, she found Endo coiled underneath the bar crying in deep, gasping sobs. It took her the better part of the day to convince him that, yes, she was alright, and that the curfew was put out for their protection. Still, from that day on, Indo garnered a distrust for the magistrate's soldiers who constantly patrolled the streets. She only hoped his fear would not get the better of him. He had a good heart, she knew, and he wanted to do the right thing. She sat down at the bar and pulled the wine toward her, taking a deep draft from the bottle. The image of the pendant flashed again in her mind, and she prayed to Gord for her brother's safety. Endo looked back over his shoulder at the inn as he sprinted down the street, the token bouncing in his hand. He had only seen his sister this upset once, after she had been told their parents had been killed in a goblin raid. She had locked herself in her room for days, only accepting food when Endo brought it up to her. Life for them had been hard since the loss of their parents, but Danry had risen to the challenge of running the inn after she emerged from her room. She had quickly taken the reins of the family business, handling the accounts and the guests. Endo spent most of his time in the kitchen. Interacting with people was not his strong suit. They struggled at first to make ends meet, but now they were holding things together and even making a little profit. Endo was proud of his sister, and seeing her this upset made him anxious. A loose stone in the cobbled street met Endo's foot as he ran, and he fell to the ground, the silver token flying out of his hand and down into the storm drain next to him. No, 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 no! He scrambled toward the drain and peered through the narrow space. The dim lamplight bounced off the water in the drain, and he could barely make out the golden ribbon as it waved in the current. He shoved his hand into the drain as far as he could. Without this token he was a goner. 
If he was discovered on the streets past the curfew, he would spend the rest of the night in jail. He had heard the stories from the men in the inn. Bitter dwarves with a taste for human blood were in that jail, and he wasn't nearly as strong as Danry. There was no way he could make it out of there unscathed. He reached his arm further into the drain, the cut stone of the street scraping against his cheek. He could feel the ribbon dancing around his fingers, but he could not get a grip on it. Just a little bit more, he thought to himself, pushing his body into the drain with all the force he could manage. You there, boy, what are you doing out so late? Endo gasped and flipped over. In the haste of his movement, his finger looped the ribbon and flung it further down the drain and out of sight. His heart pounded in his chest so hard that he feared it might burst. This is it. Tears welled up in his eyes as he turned them toward the approaching footsteps. In the dim light, the form slowly took shape. But when he could finally make out the details, Indo realized that he wasn't looking at the shiny black leather uniform of the magistrate's guard. Instead, a brown robe swam into his view. Beneath a deep hood, he could just make out the white fringe of a wispy beard and the harsh expression of quite an old face. Speak up then, boy. If I had half a mind, I'd take you to the magistrate myself. Only thieves and criminals violate the curfew. The tears began flowing in earnest as Endo crawled to the man's feet and groveled. Please, sir, don't. I'm only out on account of my sister. She gave me the token. Please, sir, but I dropped it. See, in the drain? It's urgent, sir. I have to deliver. Endo let out a gasp. With all the drama of dropping the token, he had completely lost track of the parchment with the message. He whipped around and began scouring through the leaves and trash near the gutter desperately. Now, what's all this, then? The old-robed man watched in confusion as Endo tore through the detritus on the street with abandon. Bootsteps echoed on the cobbles at the end of the street. The steel-soled boots of the magistrate's guard were their most ominous calling card. The harsh crack of metal on stone grew louder as the guards approached the old man and the young boy. Endo, in a panic, scuttled behind the old man's legs as the two guards finally reached them. Halt there, citizens! The chime is just half-past. It is against the will of our glorious magistrate that his citizens risk their lives in this late hour. Report, what reason have you for violating the curfew, which was so consciously put in place to protect your liberty? The old man looked down at the whimpering Endo behind him and let out a sigh. It's my son, officers. For an instant, Endo stopped crying and looked up at the hooded man. A stern look in his direction set him back into his tears. I caught him sneaking out of the window, presumably to take this note to his sweetie. Through the tears, Endo saw the man produce a folded piece of parchment from his deep sleeve. His parchment. The letter to the magistrate. How had the man found it? One of the guards took the piece of parchment from the old man and turned it over, glancing at his compatriot. It seems like your son still has some lessons to learn about the importance of his own liberties. The guard handed the note back to the man and took a step toward Endo. The other guard, a dark-skinned man with a sharp, clean goatee, snapped his fingers and the approaching guard froze in place. The goateed guard stepped forward and stooped down to inspect Endo. I remember my first lass. He picked Endo up off the ground, set him on his feet, and smiled. I would have fought dragons for her. Your heart's in the right place, but next time, make sure that place won't wind you in prison. Move along. The metal soles of the guard's boots scraped against the stone as they turned in place, and walked back down the alley from which they came. A bony hand closed around Endo's bicep and pulled him in the opposite direction of the guards. Endo looked into the man's hood and rubbed the tears from his eyes. Thank you, sir. I would have been dead meat if I had been sent to jail. I wouldn't even know what to do if a dwarf... 
Hush, child. Do you want another set of guards to notice? You're lucky my wits are quicker than my feet, or the both of us would be rotting in that prison. In spite of his quip, the old man navigated swiftly down a series of alleys, pausing occasionally to listen at a corner, mutter under his breath, and make a quick turn. After what felt like ages, they finally arrived outside a weathered wooden door with a large, dark metal knocker. The old man waved his hand over the surface of the door, and a subtle orange glow radiated from it as the latch popped open, and the man thrust Indo inside. Indo scrambled to the far side of the small cramped room, gasping. He had never seen magic before. He had grown up believing, just as everyone else his age, that magic was only a myth, that even if it had existed, it had disappeared so long ago that no one was sure if it was real or not. The old man closed the door and hung his robe on a hook as Indo choked out, You just... was that... are you a... The man looked quizzically at Indo's panicked expression and chuckled. No more than a conjurer of cheap tricks, I'm afraid, as the saying goes. Without his robe, Indo could see that the man was wiry, like a straw man brought to life. What little hair remained on his head created a bright white halo around a shiny bald pate. His face was cut with wrinkles, but in the warm light of the fire that the man stoked, Endo could tell there were more laugh lines than scowl marks. In the sanctuary of the building, Endo felt comforted by the man's presence, despite the lingering fear of the encounter with the guards. The man quickly bustled about the compact room, simultaneously putting a kettle on the fire and pulling a soft white dove from a cage beside it. Amaranth, wake up you silly buzzard, I have a job for you. The bird opened one eye and glanced from the man to Endo before ruffling its feathers and turning its back to them. The man sputtered. Now don't you go getting all high and mighty on me, you self-righteous. Endo laughed at the sight of the gentle old man arguing with a very small, very obstinate bird. Both man and bird turned to look at the laughing boy. The old man laughed in spite of himself, realizing the sight he must be to the young boy. Amaranth the dove fluttered over to Endo's outstretched hand and preened, delighted to have a new audience. Well, there you go, Featherbrain, all showing off for the guest. Now do you want to help him or not? With a gentle coo, the dove hopped off of Endo's shoulder where it had perched and flew back to the waiting hand of its master. Now, Emmy, I need you to take this. The man held out Endo's parchment and the bird snagged it tightly into its beak. The man looked at Endo with a piercing eye and held out the messenger dove in his direction. Um, thank you? The old man shook his head. No, boy, she needs directions, or at the very least a location. Amaranth flapped her wings expectantly and ruffled her feathers up to make herself look more important. Oh, oh, the magistrate's office! As soon as he had said the words, the small creature extended its wings, darted up through the perilously steep stairway, and out a cracked window in an upstairs room. The old man sat down with a sigh, looking across the table at Endo. He ran his hand through the chaos of white fringe around his face before leaning forward steepling his fingers and adopting a serious expression. Now I think it is high time for some introductions. As you had the pleasure of having your life saved by my quick thinking, I think the only fair payment is that you go first. Tell me then, boy, who is it that was worth my wit? In the light from the fireplace, Indo could see right past the intense glare the old man daggered in his direction, revealing underneath a sly, mischievous glint with the joy of a much younger man. Indo puffed up his chest, determined to play along with the old man's ruse. They call me Endo the Stout-Hearted. I have wandered this city, fighting crime and revolting against the tyrannous magistrate and his callous guards. The old man squinted his eyes at this. Stout-Hearted, eh? Yes, I do believe it was quite stout-hearted when you were cowering behind my cloak, wasn't it then, boy? They locked eyes for a moment, each of them putting on the most serious face they could muster. 
After a few tense seconds, the old man crossed his eyes, and they both broke out into a fit of laughter. Well then, endowed the stout-hearted, you may call me Hubert the Fleet-Footed. Hubert stood up and walked to the fire, stoking it to a warm, almost sweltering flame. Now that introductions are out of the way, answer me this. When he turned around, Endo noticed the light-hearted spark had left his eyes. In its place was an intense, burning glow. Tell me, Endo, what you know of the Traveler. As Endo looked at the old man in surprise, the kettle began to whistle. listening to Story Sodic, an episodic storytelling podcast focused on exploratory world-building through character growth. This story was written and narrated by me, Max Nolan Young. Special thanks to Angel Wing at Excel Music Publishing for the use of our theme song, The Nymphaeum Part 5. You can find new episodes of Story Sodic every other Thursday on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. We don't pay for any advertising, and word of mouth is the best way for our stories to reach new ears. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us on Twitter at StorySodic. That's Story, S-O-D-I-C. Thank you for exploring with us, and be safe out there. I'm Marcus Driscoll, host of True Combo, a podcast where my guests and I take a deep dive into the video gaming industry. We cover topics like new releases, the development process, and what you should be playing today. Join me on March 8th, where I talk to Max Nolan Young about the rise of Battle Royale games and how Donkey Kong 64 became a cult classic. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, at TrueComboCast, and True Combo is available on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by Dryer Sock Productions. Pop that pizza pie in the oven, baby. We're about to start a podcast.